Would you pray with me as we begin our time in God's Word? Dear Father, we thank you that uh, the themes that you provide in your Word, that uh, you want to fill our hearts and our minds, are rich and significant and that they matter and they, that they change uh, not only our circumstances, but our lives and our walk with you and our walk with others. And so, God, we pray now that you would do what only your Holy Spirit has the capacity to do, uh, to take words and to take insights that uh, you give to us and to use them to equip us to live a life for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. It is springtime, isn't it? And uh, all, all of you, probably like uh, our family, are trying to just get the house and all of the, uh, the the yard back into shape. I had a very disappointing thing happen just about a week and a half ago. I was mowing the back lawn, and I looked at our deck, and I realized that instead of being flat across its surface, it had become concave. Uh, and I should have known this, actually, because it was a little bit of wind last fall, and my grill uh, hadn't had the wheels locked, and it just ended up right in the middle of the deck. And I should have known then that there was a sinkhole right in the middle of the deck. And uh, so, uh, yeah, apparently what has happened is that there are a couple of the structural elements of it that have just sunk. I'm not sure the reason why. Maybe it was the freeze and thaw that's a part of winter and bad weather, or maybe it was uh, constructed poorly. I, I'm not sure of that, you know, but if it's got an inadequate foundation, that simply is, is what is going to happen. And we're in this series on hope, and I realize that the same thing can be true for hope, right? Uh, hope can have an inadequate foundation, and guess what's going to happen then? Hope will sink. Uh, it might come because it was built poorly, or might come because the elements of life uh, have just caused unexpected circumstances, the freeze-thaw cycle, the mishaps of life, and all of a sudden you look at what you thought you had, and it's just sunk. In this series, our desire is to help one another maintain hope because that's what God wants for us. And so we're in this series where we are talking about this, and there are a variety of stories from Scripture we're going to cover. There are some things for you to study during the course of the week, some Scripture verses that we hope will be helpful for you as well, too. But how does one maintain hope? We know how important this is because we know what it's like when we lack hope, don't we? Uh, if I don't have any hope, I live with a pervading and perhaps a growing sense of discouragement. If a person doesn't have hope, Hope, uh, they live with envy. You've got it. I don't. I want what you have, and you're in the way. Or why did you get it? Or whatever it might be. And we can have generate inside of us this critical, uh, critical spirit that comes because we've just lost our own sense of hope. Uh, we don't have hope, and we find ourselves settling. If we don't think there's any hope for the future, if we don't think there's any hope for a marriage, if we don't think there's any hope for a career, if we don't think there's any hope for a life, what happens to us? We settle. And we give up on relationships. We give up on dreams. We can even give up on life. A person who lives without hope uh, hurts people. A person who lives without hope has a tendency to go towards the things that will medicate that disappointment. And it might be uh, something that we ingest. It might be some relationships we go to. It might be stuff we buy. But in some ways, we want to medicate the disappointment of our life. And why is this? All because we don't have hope. Do you see how critical this is for us? 
to be people that are living a life that is characterized by hope. Uh, we don't want to be that person who lives with that pessimism. I mean, who wakes up in the morning and says, I just can't wait to hang out with pessimistic people today, right? I mean, that just doesn't happen. You know, we just get a little gun shy about going up to that person who's just living with a pervading sense of disappointment and pessimism because you don't even want to ask the question, how can I help you today? (laughs) Because the list goes on forever. So, so, so how, do we, how do we get back to that place where we actually are people that live with hope? The theme this morning is a theme of raising our expectations. And that's what I want to talk about. Raising our expectations begins with a foundation that can support your life. What is the foundation underneath my life that can actually support my life and my expectations and my ability to live with hope? Now, we can go one of two lousy ways in regards to this. And the first is for me to just get up here and say something like, don't worry, be happy. Somebody should write a song like that, right? (laughs) And, you know, just kind of this live with naivete and just be oblivious to the realities of life. Well, that's not what you see God telling us to do. But, you know, there's another possibility in regards to this. And that is for us to live in a world where we say to everyone else, life stinks I know it. Don't try to convince me otherwise. You know, this hope stuff you're going to talk about, you're not fooling me. I know life stinks. Leave me alone. And you see, we can go both of those places and miss what it is that God has for us to live a life that is undergirded by, that is buttressed by what is true. And this is what God wants for us this morning. I want to essentially encourage you to grasp two things this morning and then walk away uh, with a plan to uh, uh, raise your expectations in regards to hope. The first is this. God wants you to be filled with hope. This isn't just something you want for yourself. God wants it for you as well. When Paul describes what abides, what is essential, the critical aspects of what the Christian life is like in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, now by faith and hope and love. Those are the critical uh, 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 supports of the Christian life. Those are the things that God wants to be true in your life. He wants it to spill out of you. He wants faith to spill out of you. He wants love to spill out of you. And he wants hope to spill out of you. How does it spill out of us? Because he's put it in us. It's not that something that we generate. This is what the Spirit of the living God does when he enters into our life. He wants that for you. He wants that for me. He wants me to live with hope. I think of the psalmist in Psalm 31 verse 5. Verse 24, where he says, Take heart, all of you who have your hope in the Lord. That's where it comes from. That's what he wants for you. That's the way we will live in newness of life. Take heart, all of you who have your hope in the Lord. God wants your life to be filled with hope. And there's nothing that will get in the way of that if you're willing to open yourself up to it. There is nothing that can get in the way of you having a life that is filled with hope. Absolutely nothing. 
We go to the book of Nehemiah and we read this this morning and we see this story of God's people who have been exiled from Jerusalem. And it's a hopeless situation, actually. And it has been hopeless for decades, actually. 92 years. And things in Jerusalem have not gotten any better. I mean, think back 92 years in your family history. Do you think anything is going to change if it's been that way for generation after generation? And that's what we see here. We see a place. We see a city. We see the promised land. That is absolutely devastated and has been for generations. 92 years of things in the same, being the same in Jerusalem. 92 years of city walls that are rubble. I mean, decade after decade, one generation after next generation, looks up and they see Jerusalem. And what do they see? They see rubble and disarray. In fact, it's described... Even more dramatically than that, as we see the people that come to Nehemiah and they say to him, Nehemiah, the city of Jerusalem is in trouble and disgrace. And guess what? Guess what? It's been that way for 92 years. And then we read this story, this story. And in 52 days, the city and its future have been transformed. I mean, that's pretty compelling, isn't it? Something that has been one way for 92 years is changed in 52 days. That's a story I want to learn more about. And when we look at this story, we find out, it says in verse 4, when Nehemiah has heard this, it says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. You say, Mark, I thought this was supposed to be on a hope. And the key character is is weeping here. This isn't the way I expected to go. It may not seem even like a hopeful reaction at all, but look at what happens. I wept, and for some days I mourned, and I fasted, and I prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, and we we read his prayer. For some days he mourns and fasts and prays. And yet this is not hopeless mourning. This is not hopeless fasting. This is not hopeless prayer. And you may ask the question, why Nehemiah? We really don't know much more than this. He wanted things to change. He expected things to change. And he knew where to go in order for something that was broken for 92 years to be changed in 52 days. To go to a God who wants to fill us with hope and who wants to fill his people with hope, who wants to fill a community, a city with hope again. I um, hope you have opportunity to be able to take advantage of these uh, talks that are happening on Thursday night. Francis Chan, uh, his reminder on, on uh, the other night, on Thursday night, uh, I had a friend of mine, we just walked out of there, and he said, I am just absolutely undone by this. And uh, he, he reminded us of a couple of things, but one of the verses he took out was from Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 6, verse 9, pardon me, where it says this, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. That's who He is. 
the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those who are fully committed to him. Can you believe it? That he is actually scanning this audience right now, looking for people whom he can fully support. (laughs) That's what he wants. He's longing for it. He's longing to look at you and you and you and you and say, who, who can I give my full support to? Do you want it? Do you want it? Because I do it. That's what I do, he says. I, 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 I look through all of the world and try to find those who want to be fully supported by me. And Francis Chan on Thursday night was reflecting on his life and remembered when he was younger and that just sense of devotion say, God, anything, anything you want, I'm all yours. Uh, to which he said, you know, I used to be more like that. I used to be that person who was more like God. Here I am. <laughs> I, 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 I'm ready. And, and what happened? What happened to me? I don't think God wants us necessarily to go back to that place, but to live the life we're in right now, right today. Again, with that hope, with that willingness to be fully surrendered to him so he can fully support us. It is absolutely possible today, right now, if you and I decide that we want God to notice us and support us, he will do that. You see, what happens in life is this. I just get so distracted. There, there are all of these people out there that are giving these optimistic possibilities and, and the glitter of the promise made by a particular thing or a person or a, or a destination or a career. The glitter is just overpowering. And so I walk away from my faith in a sense of the guiding influence of my life, and I and I find this little G God that just seems so attractive and satisfying at first. And that's what we've been talking about as a church family, is where are those little G gods that just distract us? But there's another thing that diminishes my faith over time, and it's not just simply the glitter of the, the, the promise of something um, that someone tells me will satisfy It's just the foundation of my understanding of who God is. I get so disappointed in God. And I realize it's not that I'm disappointed in God. I'm disappointed in who I thought God was. And those are completely different things. God will never disappoint who you think he is. Oh, if that's weak, you are bound and determined to be disappointed by God. If our notion of God is frail, if it's distorted, if I think that coming to Jesus means that God is going to fix every problem, I think that if I do the right things, God will protect me from all harm and all illness. If I think life will essentially be one triumph after another, you know, kind of a Captain America existence, If I think that that's what it means to follow God, 
then my, my hope and my faith is going to crash and burn. No wonder we lose hope. We were unprepared for the world we were in. We were uninformed about the God who will work with us in the world. You guys, this happens all of the time. People crash and burn because they misunderstood who God was and where their hope would be found. Nehemiah in this story has a vantage point that changes things. The change agent in this story that moves from 92 years of one thing to 52 days that result in something completely different. The, the, the change agent, the turning point here, is the hope that Nehemiah had that was rooted in his understanding of who God was. It is so critical that we know who he is. Just a, a week before my brother died, we were, uh, uh, it was April 14th, Mike died, so it would have been the 7th. And, and um, uh, my, some of you might know the story of my brother. He was a police officer. He was shot 23 years ago, quad, C2, C3, completely paralyzed. And God gave him t- 23 years, really remarkable years. And I want to talk a little bit about that um, later, some of the things that we learned um, after he died. But So I'm on the phone with Mike. It's Monday afternoon, and he's just got this terrible news, and it is that his body is just shutting down. It happens with quads and the medications that they need to have in order to alleviate the pain and all of that. And so Mike's on the phone with me, and we've learned that Mike's intestines aren't, aren't working anymore. And so he's in this horrible situation where he needs nutrition, but it, and if he doesn't get nutrition, he dies. But if he eats, he dies. Um, and it's just like, this is it. You know, we've tried this and we've tried that, and, 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 and Mike's just wondering what to do next. And in the idea of saying, am I, planning my, am I planning my funeral? Am I going home to die and you know, embrace palliative care and, and hospice and all of that? He just wasn't ready for that. And, and frankly, scared. Uh, he was scared. And um, we get on the phone with each other. And um, I, 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 um, I'm just saying, Mike, I'm just so sorry. And in the middle of that... I don't know whether it was God encouraging me or some idea I had, but I just, Mike, I I was just reminded of something, and I knew Mike needed to hear it. I said, Mike, let me tell you what what we know to be true. We know that what you're working on right now is not end-of-life planning. It is not over. We're about to celebrate Easter, and we know that we know that we know that Jesus was crucified, and he died, and he was in the grave, and then he came back, and he stood among us as a human being and let us know that there is life after the body is destroyed. As sure as he was standing there, it is true, Mike. There is no end of life planning here. There's end of life with a body that's failing you planning happening. But but this isn't about the end of life because we know what's true. We know it's true. Mike, here's what I think. I think what's going to happen is you're going to fall asleep like you do. You're going to just fall asleep in the next few days or weeks or whenever it is. And then you're going to wake up just like you do. And all of a sudden, you're going to realize that your arm works, and your legs work, and you're in a different place, and the body you have is different than the one you did, 
And it's just going to be that simple. You're going to fall asleep. And you're going to wake up. And you're going to discover where you are. And you know what he said to me? Mark, would you tell me that again? (laughs) Three times. Tell me. Tell me again. Tell me again. You see, I think there are times when we need to know what's true. Where we need to get around each other. And we need to say, let me tell you what's true. And that's what we see here. People with hope see circumstances differently because they see God clearly. People with hope see their circumstances differently because we see God clearly. This was true for Nehemiah. Look at the prayer. Lord, the God of heaven, he says, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess this sins we Israelites including myself and my father's family have committed against you we've acted wickedly towards you we've not obeyed the commands decrees and laws you gave your servant and some people might say that's it it's over Nehemiah you blew it your father's blew it don't you know any brother but he goes on and he appeals to God as you said if you were unfaithful and we were you will scatter I will scatter you among the nations and we were But if you return to me and my commands, and we have, then even if your exiled people are the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to this place I have chosen as a dwelling for your name. So here we are, God, and I know you. I see you clearly. And that's my reason for hope. He sees a God who is great and awesome. What if I embrace that again? What if I used to be like that? What if I was again? <laughs> I mean, I mean, can you just walk into that? <laughs> what if again? You embraced what's true. That God is great and awesome. You don't hold our wickedness against us. When we return to you, you redeem us. You respond to us. You restore us. It doesn't matter how far away we have wandered. This is who you are, God. Your ears will be attentive, your eyes will be open, and your strength will be readily available in my life. Perhaps you've heard the story before of an industrious woman, uh, mom and wife, who, who just loved to clean her laundry. And she was proud of white whites and bright colors as the laundry came out. And she was looking through her window at the neighbors, and this was one the, during that period of time where everybody would put their laundry out on lines. Do you remember those days where you would just get in those sheets and they just smelled like fresh air? Well, there were these, there were these sheets and these, and these clothes across the way as she was looking, as she was looking out her window. And uh, she said to her husband as she glanced over there, she says, boy, 
that, that, that person next door doesn't know how to clean their clothes. The whites are not white. The colors are not bright. It's just, just dingy. She, she or whoever just doesn't know how, how to do the wash. And uh, she told her husband and just kind of complained about it. And the next week, uh, she, looked, she looked across the way through window and she, she just saw white whites and bright blues and reds and yellows. And she went and she said to her husband, can you believe it? Whoever, they, they figured it out. Their whites are white and the, the brights are bright. And, and her husband said to her, dear, I've washed our windows. So maybe the reason you're living with hope is because you're looking through dirty windows without hope. Maybe the reason you think your marriage can't get better is because you're looking out dirty windows. Maybe the reason you think your financial situation can't change is because you're looking through dirty windows. Maybe the reason you're discouraged about your kids is because you're looking through dirty windows. Maybe the reason you think there's nothing for you beyond today or this year is not because it's true, but because you can't see. People with hope see circumstances differently because they see God clearly. Talk about, talk about misunderstanding God. Now, I want to talk about misguided expectations next Sunday. But you know what the problem for us is? You say, Mark, you're not going to convince me that everything is going to be better. We're going to talk about what expectations look like going in the future. But you know what? I think so oftentimes we tend to manage disappointment and expectations by reducing our expectations. We reduce disappointment in our lives by reducing the expectations in our lives. What if it could be different than that? What if you could actually have less disappointment and greater expectations? What if you didn't have to manage your disappointment by reducing what you thought God might do in your life? What if it was actually possible to live with expectations, high expectations of what God will do and what he will be in our life and actually experience hope. There is no circumstance in which it is impossible to have hope. People with hope are not shaped by circumstances. The circumstances are shaped by their hope. This is what God wants for you. It's what he wants for us. It's what he wants for our families. It's what he wants for our friendships. People are people of hope shape circumstances and create hope, not because it's positive self-esteem, but because it's God. It is God of the universe who is great and awesome and will do those things. So here's what I want you to do during the course this week. Next week, we're going to talk about what a future looks like marked by hope. But I want you to pray for this this week. God, show me life as it is. Rip away the lies that create distance between me and hope. Would you do that, God? Would you rip away the lies that create distance? And would you change my fundamental expectations of what you want for me and for my life? I want us to do foundation repair this week. You may want to come on Thursday and hear John Ortberg. He's going to speak on this subject. 
But I want you to I, I want you to do uh, two things. One is where are the places in your life where you have no hope or less hope than you used to have? Where are they? Write them out. Where are the places where you have broken hope? And secondly, ask God, God, help me to clearly see what's true. Because I know you want hope for me. And I don't even know what that is. I don't know what windows need to be washed in your life. But God does. And if you invite him to, he will. Let's pray for that now. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that um, you have hope for us. And our reason for hope is based on the character of who you are. And so, God, I, I know you need, you want to do this. Um, and I know we need you to do it for us. And so, God, I pray that you would create in us a thirst, a dependency, God, um, to, to rely on you, to show us what's true, God, that we might see life as it is and find ourselves filled with hope that you've always dreamed would be true of our life. God, we know you do that. We ask you to do that here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.